This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel, and I'm thrilled that you're joining us uh, in the middle of the summer. I've got a couple announcements for you before we jump in. First of all, I want to encourage you to be back here next Sunday morning, July 30th. We have a guest speaker. Richard Exley is one of our former pastors at Christian Chapel. He's going to come back and share with us. If you've never heard Richard, you're in for a treat, Um, but it's always a fun time when he comes back, so I want to invite you to make sure you're here for that. Second, um, we are, are enjoying just a a great season of God's blessing and God's growth at Christian Chapel. Um, Through July, we have seen some historic uh, attendance numbers on Sunday morning. So uh, to all of you who are coming to church in summer, just great job. Uh, You are the the real MVPs of church. Give yourself a hand. That's fine. Yeah, it's, it's totally fine. It's not derogatory at all towards those who are on vacation and on the beach this morning and doing other things. Just you're just proud of yourself. It's okay in a like holy God-honoring way. It's fine. Uh, But uh, what that means is we know when the fall comes, we get all of our college students who come back. We get everyone who's on vacation. We get everyone who's joined us over the summer. And so on September 10th, we are moving to three Sunday morning services on a permanent basis here at Christian Chapel. So where you can help me with that is if we do not have your contact info, if you don't get a periodic email or text message from us, if you can send that to us at info at christianchapel.com, just your name, email, and phone number. Um, Over the next week or so, you're going to get just a short little survey to help us as we're planning those three service times. Your feedback's an important part of that process. But again, uh, just send it to info at christianchapel.com. This year at Christian Chapel, we're sharing praise stories of the good things that God has done in our life. If you have those, you can send them to us at praise at christianchapel.com. Each week when we share them, we are celebrating what God has done and also pausing to pray and ask him to do it again. And so we've shared stories of God's healing, of God's salvation, God's miraculous provision, just incredible ways that he has worked in the the lives of people at Christian Chapel. And and each week as we share those, it builds our faith and is also a reminder to us that while we're still in need, Jesus is still sufficient and still working to meet those needs. This morning's Chapel Praise story is a, a little bit different. As Pastor Amy mentioned a moment ago, we have a team of 18 of our Chapel Youth Students and Leaders who are in Northeast Brazil. They've been serving with Rubens and Steffi Cunha, some of our Kingdom Builders partners down there. Throughout the week, they have engaged in neighborhood evangelism. They've served with local churches, and their week of ministry culminated um, with some big outdoor crusade-style evangelism um, experiences. And so from that, there have been a, a lot of stories of God's miraculous healing of people placing their faith in Jesus. But rather than me reading one of those, Ruben's ministry does a great job uh, producing some videos. Some of you have seen those this week on, on social media. But we grabbed one of those and want to share just a brief story with you this morning for our chapel praise story today. This man has been dealing with different infirmities, different diseases, and because of the medication he's been taking, he lost the ability to walk, and he was put in this wheelchair. But tonight during prayer, he felt the power of God coming over him, and he felt relief, 
and he stood up and he started to walk. He said his legs are strong now and he can walk again. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't want to steal Titus's, Pastor Titus's thunder, but there, there are dozens more stories that we could tell this morning of great things that God is doing, but we'll let our, our chapel youth students share those with you. Um, if you are like me and you have a teenager on that trip, mom or dad, I would encourage you when you, they come back and you say, how was it? And they say, good, uh, push a little deeper because it was way more than good. And God is doing some incredible things. And, and just kind of let them learn to start rehearsing those stories of the good things that God has done, the good things that they have witnessed. Uh, but when we're sharing those stories, we're not just celebrating what God has done. We're also taking an opportunity to pray and ask the Lord to do it again. So I'm going to ask you to join me in a prayer. And if, if you're here this morning and just have some physical needs in your body, we're going to believe that as we pray, God is going to release gifts of healing. And you're going to experience the same type of wholeness um, that they have seen so many findings in Brazil. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you uh, for the mighty and incredible ways that you are working in Brazil. We thank you, Lord, for st stories of healing, stories of signs and wonders, stories of your incredible work of salvation. And now, Lord, as, as we pause to give you thanks, we also ask, will you do it again? Lord, we believe that your gifts of healing are available to us today. You see every person, you see every body, you see every need, every sickness, every uh, long-lasting effect of injury or disease or medication. And Lord, today we ask, will you release complete and total healing? Will you continue to restore movement? Will you restore mobility? Will you alleviate pain? Will you become uh, just, Lord, the healer that we know you to be in the scriptures and that so many of us have experienced in our life? Lord, as you release those gifts, we thank you that they are not something we earn. It's nothing we can manipulate, but these are free gifts from a loving Father. And so, Jesus, today, will you release your gifts of healing in the ways that we need to experience it for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, as you have those stories, send them to us, praise at christianchapel.com. Today we're continuing our way through the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8, if you have a Bible with you this morning. We are kind of working our way through the story of Acts. If you're unfamiliar with Acts, it's a story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. And so our approach as we've been working our way through is that Acts is not just descriptive of something that happened a long time ago, but it is prescriptive for what should still be occurring in the church today. And in Acts chapter 8, where we're going to pick up the this, this story today, we're talking about the realities of discipleship. Now, there, there can be sometimes this, this false understanding that when we say yes to Jesus, suddenly everything in our life goes well, and all of our past problems are gone, and we just kind of have our stuff together. Now, from your own experience, you know that's not true, and yet somehow we can be gracious towards ourselves, and we can be pretty hard towards others who are also trying to follow Jesus, right? Where, where you would never demand perfection from yourself, but sometimes you might transfer that to your children, to other believers, to others at church. And, and so what we'll see this morning in Acts chapter 8 is that the process of discipleship is a process of repeated experiences of grace, and that Jesus intends for each of us to follow him, and he intends for us to help others follow him as well. So where we will pick up the story today, if you were with us last week, we discussed Stephen's martyrdom and how Stephen is killed. He's the first Christian martyr. And when he's killed in Jerusalem, it results in believers being scattered out of Jerusalem and into the surrounding areas. 
It's the beginning of the fulfillment of the Great Commission that we're going into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so where we'll pick it up today is with the story of those who were, who were basically cast out of Jerusalem because of the persecution that was occurring. And what we'll see is even as they leave, they continue to live as disciples and they continue to make disciples. So if you have a Bible, you can read along with me. If not, it'll be here on the screens. It's a, a long passage, so we'll kind of work through it segment by segment. Let's start in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. It says, Those who had been scattered... Preach the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And so the, the first reality we see of discipleship is that disciples make disciples. There is an expectation laid on every person who follows Jesus that as a disciple, I will grow in my relationship with him. And what that includes is also helping others become disciples. The great commission that Jesus gives to us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation is not a job description reserved for church leaders, for pastors, for missionaries, or the particularly spiritually inclined among us. But every single man, woman, teenager, and child who puts their faith in Jesus Christ takes on the title of disciple. And as a disciple, you make disciples. It doesn't matter if you're eloquent. It doesn't matter if you're extroverted. It doesn't matter if you would prefer to never talk to anyone at any time, anywhere. You carry the responsibility of being a disciple, and to be a disciple is to make a disciple. You cannot be a disciple without being engaged in making disciples. It's just kind of the natural overflow of who we are and what we do. And so what we see in Acts is as the church is scattered, they preach the gospel everywhere they go. And it's not just the leaders who are preaching the gospel. In fact, the apostles all stayed in Jerusalem while the rest of the church was scattered into the surrounding areas. And so what we see here is one of the, the first and most obvious examples that the church grows through the participation of every single believer. There has never been a pastor gifted enough. There has never been a church leader eloquent enough to reach everyone you know with the gospel. God plants each of us in certain places at certain times to reach certain people. The best person to reach the world around you is you. And what you see as you work through Acts is disciples make disciples, but we don't do it through our own effort, which is good news for some of us. Because some of us, we feel entirely ill-equipped to make disciples. We're afraid we're not going to know what to say or how to say it. We're afraid we won't have answers to all of their questions. We're afraid that we'll somehow slip up or make it worse in some way. But as you read through Acts chapter 8, what you find is it's the Holy Spirit who gives us power to make disciples. As Philip goes into Samaria and he and the other believers begin to preach, their message is confirmed by the Holy Spirit. 
It's the Holy Spirit who begins to drive out evil spirits from those who are encountering the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit who begins to release gifts of healing among those who are hearing the gospel. And what Philip and the early church are experiencing is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise in Acts 1.8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this morning, if you're in a place where you think the, the mandate of making disciples is intimidating, that's a great realization for you to have because you were never meant to do it on your own. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of power to be a witness, which is another way of saying power to make disciples. Now, now for some of us, we have, have never really experienced that power of the Holy Spirit working through us. And I, I would suggest today that, that it's at least possible that the reason we have not experienced the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses and make disciples is because we have not witnessed or tried to make disciples. The power of the Holy Spirit is released and activated as we step into the commands that God has given to us. It's not, a, it's not the way the Holy Spirit works is not, hey, I'm going to give you all the power and promise it's going to happen. Now you go do it. It's take the step of obedience, take the step of faith, begin to open your mouth and speak, begin to seek opportunities to introduce others to Jesus. And what you will find is as you walk in obedience, you are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is not restricted to worship services. It's not restricted to emotional experiences. The lights don't have to be dimmed to a certain level and the music up to a certain volume. But anywhere God's people step into obedience and begin to share their faith, the Holy Spirit comes with power to confirm that message. It's what our, our chapel youth team is seeing in Brazil. It's what many of you have seen in your own life, that it was as you took that step of obedience that you begin to receive power from the Holy Spirit to share the good news that you have. And what we see as Philip is preaching is that people begin to respond. God begins to confirm the message. And it says the whole city is filled with great joy. And so as we talk about making disciples, it's important for us to remember that we have good news of great joy for all people. See, somewhere along the line, for, for some of us, evangelism kind of became a dirty word. It became something to avoid. It became something that you could only do if you had memorized these certain steps or were ready for these particular arguments. It became something where you felt like you were trying to talk people into something. Like you were trying to get them to lay down a life that they loved for a life that they might not really enjoy, but you think might be better for them somehow, some way. And yet what the scriptures teach us is the arrival of Jesus. It's what the, the, the angels tell the shepherds in Luke's gospel. That when Jesus shows up, they say, we bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And so as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, when you are making disciples and when you're sharing good news with other people, you should share good news of great joy with a sense of great joy in your heart. You're not trying to get something from someone else. You're trying to give something to them. This is the source of life. This is the source of peace. This is the source of joy. This is where your soul will find rest. This is where you will be reconnected to God. This is where your relationships with others will be restored. As Christians, when we share the gospel, we're not some used car salesman trying to sell a 27-year-old Toyota Camry with 400,000 miles on it. Right? You're not trying to talk somebody into something. 
something that you're not sure if it's going to last or not. You are giving them the greatest gift that you have ever experienced. And if this morning you're thinking, well, that's my problem. I don't think I can share it because I don't think I can believe it. Then please don't share it till you believe it. Begin to ask the Lord to bring good news of great joy to you. And as you have those experiences of the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit and the transforming presence of Jesus Christ, it will become the natural overflow from your life. So as, as you keep reading through the story in Acts chapter 8, we see these realities of discipleship. First, we see that disciples make disciples. Next, we see anyone can be a disciple. Beginning in, in verse 9, it says, Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. And so as you begin to understand that the realities of discipleship, you have to understand literally anyone can become a disciple. Now, we don't have time to, to get into all the weeds. This morning's message could have been five weeks of messages. But in an effort to get through Acts before I retire, uh, we're, we're just, we gotta, we got to compress it at some point, right? And so we're going to compress some of these this morning. Now, the idea that anyone can be a disciple is, is rooted in the, the opening uh, verse of that short little passage we just read because it's two groups of people that the early church would have said are on the least likely to convert list. First was the people group of the Samaritans. The Samaritans were viewed by the Jewish people as some sort of disregarded half-breed. They were, they were rejected, they were hated, they were viewed as people had, who had perverted the true and right worship of the Lord. So they wanted nothing to do with them. So Jesus' initial announcement that when they received the power of the Holy Spirit, it's to be witnesses in Samaria, would have been shocking. And now they're actually experiencing what it means to preach the gospel in the land where they thought God was absent. And then the, the second is Simon in his role as a sorcerer. Now, now, we, depending on your age, your view of a sorcerer might be anyone from uh, Mickey Mouse in Fantasia to Doctor Strange in the Marvel movies. And if that's anywhere in between, I would tell you that's not at all what Simon was dealing with. What Simon was dealing with were, were dark, supernatural forces. Simon had opened his life up to the enemy. And he was some combination of a, a trickster, a fraudster, and somebody who had sold his soul to the devil. And in this space, he had become someone who'd achieved somewhat of a following in his area and was learning how to cash in on his connection to the supernatural. Simon's life would have been dark in so many ways. And yet, he's converted. And so what we learn from Simon and what we learn from the Samaritans is we can never write off anyone that Jesus intends to write into his family. 
right? That there is no people group and there is no person that Jesus didn't die for. There is no one who's too far gone. There is no one who's too evil. There's no one who's rejected too many times. And so our job as followers of Christ is to understand that there is never anyone who is too sinful, never anyone who is too shady to become a disciple of Jesus. And, and this morning, what I want you to think about is that's not just true in a sense of yes for all those people out there. Yes for people in our community, for people around the world. That's true for people in here this morning. Like, if we had time to, for each of us to tell our stories of either who we are right now or who we were before Jesus changed our life, what you would find is there are some shady people sitting in your row. I mean, there's some people who've done some stuff that would make you blush. There are some people, if they started telling you their past, you would pull your wife a little closer to you, right? Some people that if they tell you what they did before they found Jesus, you would say, we're not going to lunch with them, right? There are some people, if they said, hey, here's what I used to do, you'd be like, I need to go wash my hands because I shook your hand, right? That we all have stories. We all have a past. We all have places that God has let us out from. But if you kept listening, for most of those people in your row, what you would begin to hear is, but who I was is not who I am. I was dead. It was dark. It was depressing. I was a reprobate. I was harmed and I caused harm. But somewhere along the line, someone shared the good news with me and I moved from death to life. I moved from darkness to light. I moved from a reprobate to a son or a daughter of God. And my identity has changed and my future has changed. And the way I see the world has changed. And the way I think about my past has changed. And so now I can tell stories that should bring me shame, but instead I can tell them as trophies of God's grace and statements of his unending love for us. This is who we are. Right? There, there's not a single person in here that's like, you know what my story is? I've just always been perfect. I mean, I think, you know, Jesus just, he created me because he was just kind of tired of it all. And, and he just, I, I was just, I was kind of his guy. I was kind of his girl. And that's, that's, not, that's not any of our stories. And if you think it's your story, you might be the most deceived person in here this morning. Like, we'll just, we'll give us your mom's number. We'll call her and she'll be like, they are not sinless and they never have been, right? She knows you. They know your story. We all understand that reality. And yet still, as followers of Jesus, and, and sometimes the longer we follow Jesus, the more tempted we are to write others off and to decide that segment of the world doesn't deserve the gospel. That particular people group has had enough chances. That person is too dark. Their mind is too depraved. Their behavior is too wicked. And yet what the scriptures are teaching us is anyone can be a disciple. And so wherever God leads us and whoever surrounds us in that environment, God intends for us to share the good news because he intends to still bring people from death to life. And so, so for us as disciples, we're going to learn we've got to make disciples. We're going to learn that anyone can be a disciple. And then as you keep reading down in verse 14, we see that discipleship is a process. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And so they, they had become followers of Jesus, right? Philip goes and he preaches the gospel. Other believers go and they preach the gospel. People are receiving Jesus Christ. They are being baptized. They are moving from children of darkness to children of light. They're becoming the sons and daughters of God. They're taking their place in community. These new believers have already experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who convicted them of sin. It was the Holy Spirit who revealed Jesus as Savior. It was the Holy Spirit who testified with their spirit that they were now the sons and daughters of God. It was the Holy Spirit who confirmed the message of the gospel with signs and wonders, with healing and deliverance. And now when Peter and John show up to check on this new revival, the first thing they do is they lay their hands on these new believers to pray with them that they will receive the Holy Spirit. And so if you've been with us throughout the, this series on Acts, you'll recognize that this is a, a two-stage experience that we've seen now several times in the book of Acts. Stage one is we are saved by the work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts, the Holy Spirit who reveals Jesus as Savior, and the Holy Spirit who assures us of our salvation. And then, for followers of Christ who put their faith in him, Acts shows us that there is a, a subsequent experience of power from the Holy Spirit. And that is power to be his witnesses. We see it with the disciples on the day of Pentecost, and now we see it wasn't just for the church leaders, but this is a pattern that continues even for the Samaritans. And for the Samaritans, they are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so what it's pointing us towards this morning is this idea that discipleship is a process. Discipleship is a journey. There is always more of God to be discovered. There are always fresh experiences to know. There is always new power for new obstacles and new opportunities. There is always something that Jesus wants to say to you and through you. And so the temptation we have to resist is this idea of, well, I was saved. I was baptized, and I'm good until I die. Because what the scriptures teach us is you were saved, you were baptized, and now here comes the Holy Spirit with fresh power, with fresh work for what you need today. And I, and I know as, as we've worked our way through this, this story of Acts, I've, I've heard from many of you, I've followed Jesus for years or for decades, but I feel like there is something more for me. Some of you, the only reason you are at Christian Chapel today is because you feel like there's an experience of the Holy Spirit that you're seeking, but you haven't heard about. And so today, we're not trying to convince you of a certain denominational stance. We're just saying what the scriptures teach is you say yes to Jesus, and then you receive power from the Holy Spirit. And if you need power from the Holy Spirit, you're just going to keep seeking that and keep making yourself available to it. This, this story is a reminder to us that we never outgrow our need to grow as disciples. Right? That as long as you're breathing, God has something more for you. There's always more that you can learn from the scriptures. There's always more that he can reveal about himself and about the world around you. There's always a new opportunity. There's always a new struggle. There's always a new space where you need to hear God's voice and follow the path that he's laying out for you. And the Samaritan believers are wonderful examples to us of we are going to receive all that the scriptures promise and all that Jesus has designed for us. We're not going to become people who just chase experiences for the sake of experiences. 
But we will be people who root our feet firmly in the scriptures and say, I want every single thing that God says he has for me. And every single day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to say, Lord, I want to hear your voice and I want to follow where you lead. Lord, I want the scriptures to come alive and I want my life to be empowered. The process of discipleship is a process of walking with the Holy Spirit. Jesus never intended to start a religion with a set of rules that you followed by your own best effort. He intended that you would have an ongoing, vibrant, spiritual relationship with the Father through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Christianity is living, active, and always growing. We see it in the early church. We see it throughout church history. We've seen it in our lives today. Now, as as you kind of engage in that process of discipleship, what you find is there are times where, where that process is really fun and exciting, and then there's also some times where the process starts to get a little messy and, and maybe even a little disconcerting at times. We keep reading down in verse 18. It says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was giving at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So as as you keep reading through the story of the Samaritan revival, what we see is that discipleship is messy. It turns out that new believers bring a lot of old baggage with them. And for Simon, his old baggage was he viewed the supernatural as a way to make money and a way to have power. And so, so we, again, we don't have time to get into this, but, but when the, the apostles lay their hands on the Samaritan believers and Acts says, and they received the Holy Spirit, there is something that happened that caused Simon, who loves displays of supernatural power, to say, I want to be able to do that. And, and so what seems likely when you take into account the other experiences of the Holy Spirit filling people with power in Acts is, is we see several times in Acts when the Holy Spirit comes, people begin to speak or pray or worship in other languages that they did not know. And so what most scholars think happened in Acts chapter 8 is the apostles lay their hands on the Samaritan believers. They receive the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other languages that they do not know. And Simon says, I will pay any amount of money to have that power. Because I can make a killing taking this show on the road. I can do this everywhere. I can do this among everyone. I can do this all the time. It's unlike anything he's ever seen before. And and so this isn't really our point today, but it does, again, cause us to stop and consider if the Holy Spirit shows up in supernatural ways, then when we're seeking the Holy Spirit, we have to be open to the supernatural power of the Spirit. Again, we we don't have time to go there. We've preached that. We've done that. You can go back and and listen to those. Our, Our point this morning is discipleship is messy. And when people say yes to Jesus, sometimes some of their old worldviews, their old way of thinking, their old way of interacting will still creep in even as they're trying to take their place in this new community. 
You've had this experience as you follow Jesus. I've had this experience as, you fo- as I follow Jesus. We all have. And, and so what we see in Simon's story is that Peter, I mean, just is very, very direct in his response to him. Peter doesn't pet, soft pedal around it. He doesn't soft sell the response. He, he just tells Simon, hey, may your money perish with you. Your heart is wicked. You are far from God. You better pray and hope that he, I mean, si- Peter sounds like a, a parent getting on their teenager, honestly. But, but what we learn, though, from Simon's story and what we learn from the story of the disciples throughout the scriptures is correction from the scriptures, from the spirit, and from the saints is part of following Jesus. And so if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you at some point are going to be corrected by the scriptures. They are going to confront the way you see the world and the way you see yourself. They're going to confront the way you respond when someone has wronged you. They're going to confront the way you want to react when someone has harmed you. Not only that, you're going to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. If you're following Jesus as a disciple, you want to experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. One of the the prayers that that Angie and I pray for our kids and for ourselves and, and for you all of the time is, Lord, if we step off the path, make us miserable. Please don't let me find joy or satisfaction in my sin. And I'm playing for my kids, Lord, if they are wandering from you, don't let them sleep at night. Don't let them be able to eat. Like send the unrelenting pursuit of your Holy Spirit after them. To be a disciple is to understand there is a real enemy who is still, even after you place your faith in Christ, trying to steal and kill and destroy you. And because of that, he's going to package any attractive temptation he can to get you off the path. And so you need the correction from the scriptures. You need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then there are times where you also need the correction of the saints. And when we say the saints, we don't mean that the saints of old, we mean the community of faith. We mean the body of believers. If you are going to follow Jesus, there are going to be times in your life where other believers are going to have to speak hard words of truth to you about things in your life that don't match up with the scriptures, about attitudes or behaviors where you need the Holy Spirit to work, about spaces where you need the fruit of the Spirit to grow. And this is exactly what Peter does for Simon. Now, the reason Peter can so comfortably step into that point of confrontation with Simon is because Peter had been a repeated recipient of correction from Jesus. If you remember back when Jesus is telling the disciples about how he is going to suffer and he's going to die and then he's going to rise again, it's Peter who pulls Jesus aside and says, listen, that's not going to happen. It's just never going to happen. And it's Jesus who looks directly at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. So, So Peter calls Simon wicked, but Jesus called Peter Satan. So, so he, he comes from some point of reference of like, I know of which I speak, right? Like, I, I've been here, Simon. I've done that. In fact, did you know my name used to be Simon? Uh, you know, there's a lot of commonality here between these two men. And yet Peter steps in and he begins to lovingly and graciously speak words of truth that are hard to hear, but absolutely necessary. Now, for Simon, we don't know exactly what his standing is. We know it says that he believed and was baptized. And in this moment, Peter tells him that he's wicked and his heart is far from God. And so we don't know if if he's a faltering believer. 
We don't know if, if Simon is a not-quite-there seeker. We don't know if he's just a cynical con man who's been playing a game the whole time. All we know is when Peter is confronted by what he perceives to be a faltering disciple, he doesn't kind of step back and says, well, we'll just let him figure it out. But he walks right up to it. He addresses the lies that Simon is believing and tries to point him back onto the path of life. And so for us as disciples, what it means is is two things. One, we have to be comfortable with letting others speak words of challenge and correction to us. If you can't think of a time in your life where you were corrected by the scriptures, corrected by the spirit, or corrected by the saints, you really should evaluate your standing as a disciple. Because it's just part of following Jesus. There's never been a disciple who perfectly followed Jesus in isolation. We are meant to follow him in community, under the authority of the scriptures, and with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And and then the other part that it means is if we're disciples who are making disciples, there will be times that we have to speak those words of challenge or correction to other believers. And and as you do that, I want to give you just two ways to think about it. First, there's the idea of calling out, and then there's the idea of calling in. Now, for, for some of us, we have a natural bent in our personality where we can call some people out, right? Like, there, there are some of you who are like, I think that's my ministry. Um, I, just, I just love it. There's nothing I love more than any environment I'm in. I can tell who's doing the wrong thing, and, and I really like to tell them about it. Um, now, others of us, that is a horrifying experience of, oh, my goodness, confrontation. I don't want any part of that. I don't want to do anything like that. But if you're serious about following Jesus and you're serious about making disciples, there will be times where you have to call others out. But when you call them out, you're not trying to shame them. You're not trying to embarrass them. You're not trying to humiliate them. You're not trying to call them out of, I can't believe you would ever do those things. Instead, what you're calling them out of is out of the ways of darkness, out of the ways of the world, and you're calling them into new life in Jesus Christ. And so so you can't ever settle for like, well, I told them they were wrong, but there's always this, this other side of the coin where you then have to call them in to new life. And so if we're calling out greediness, we're going to call them in to a life of generosity. If we're calling out selfishness, we're going to call them in to a life of sacrifice and service. If we're calling them out of finding their identity in their wealth or in their sexuality or in any of the other things the world tells you to find you, then we're also calling them in to their identity as the sons and the daughters of God. See, as followers of Jesus, we will never be the people or the community who are known by all the rules we have and all the ways we tell everyone who's falling short of it that they're not welcome until they get it together. But we want to be the people who are constantly lovingly calling out the spaces where the kingdom has not yet taken effect, but calling people in to the fullness of life that Jesus offers to us. This is what Peter offers to us. This is what Simon's response is, will you pray for me? Will you pray that these things won't happen? And we don't get the rest of the story, but I think we're safe to assume that Peter's response would have been, absolutely. Let's pray and let's see and let's learn and let's grow and let's move forward. One mistake can never stop your discipleship journey. Two or three or four or 10 or 20 mistakes cannot stop your discipleship journey. When you're corrected by the scriptures, when you're corrected by the spirit, when you're corrected by the saints, it's an opportunity to repent to be made new, and to continue to walk on the path that Jesus has for you. And in the face of all of these realities of discipleship, what we see in the early church is the same response that we should have today. 
verse 25, it says, after they had further proclaimed the word of God and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. The situation with Simon wasn't ideal, but it did not stop Peter and John from continuing to make disciples. And so what we want to remember this morning is we're not gonna let the mess keep us from the mandate. And the mandate for every believer is you're gonna be a disciple and you're going to make disciples. And sometimes it's going to go well and it's gonna be easy and God's gonna release gifts of healing and power. And in that space, we're gonna keep making disciples. And other times it's gonna be hard and difficult and messy and you're gonna have, to have to have uncomfortable conversations and you're gonna to have to be the giver and the recipient of those. And in those spaces, we're gonna keep making disciples. And sometimes we'll find our, ourselves in places where it seems as if the, the soil is so fertile and everywhere we preach the gospel, new believers are sprouting up. And other times we'll find ourselves in where it's, it's rocky and it's hard and it's difficult and it seems that we're struggling just to tell one person about Jesus. But no matter the response, we're just going to keep making disciples. Again and again and again, the story of Acts will find this pattern played out over and over. Men and women say yes to Jesus. They are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They take their place in the church and then they give their lives to make disciples. Regardless of what their job is, regardless of their status in their, their local cities, regardless of their economic standing or their education level, everyone everywhere who has said yes to Jesus is a disciple and disciples always make disciples. And so my, my encouragement to us this morning is as you leave this room today, you go out as a disciple. And as a disciple, you're a disciple maker. And God has strategically placed you in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community, at your job, in your circle of friends, at the gym you go to, at the school you attend, wherever you are, he has put you there on purpose and for a purpose. And in that place, you're gonna grow as a disciple. And in that place, you're going to make disciples. And you're going to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Will you stand with me so I can pray for us? Jesus, we come to you today and we thank you that you have spoken to us, that you've called us into new life. Lord, we pray if there's anyone in the room or online with us who's not yet made that decision to follow you. We pray that today will be their day of new life. Today will be their day of salvation that they will repent of their sins and receive you as their savior. And Lord, I pray for those who have made that decision. Will you come once again and fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, will you come and remind us that disciple making is our primary job description in life? That above everything else, it's what we were called to do and who we are called to be. So Holy Spirit, will you come again in your supernatural power and will you fully equip us for every good work that Jesus has prepared for us? We believe this week that as we begin to speak and as we begin to share, that the Holy Spirit will come in power, releasing gifts of healing, releasing confirmation, releasing signs and wonders to those whom we're sharing the good news with. And Lord, we believe as we obediently walk the path of being disciples, that you will give us so many opportunities to have the privilege of discipling others. And as we do, we pray that you would help us to continue to do it by the power of your spirit at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.